When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to an exclusive episode of Mind Love. Today's episode is all about bravery in leadership. Being able to lean in, you have to be able to lean on and being able to tell people, here's what I need from you right now. So that's one example. Another one is, I think this is a bit of self-coaching, but I think it's a really important move because we're not always around or accessible to people that can help us think through things. And so being able to say it out loud, right? And start acknowledging what you might be, what story you might be telling yourself or what fear might be kind of creeping up for you at that moment and taking a deep breath and thinking about what's what's the bravest thing you could do right now, even if it's just a small, brave move. What does it mean to be brave? My definition of bravery has definitely changed over the years. I remember when I was a little girl, I thought of bravery as something embodied by heroes in Disney movies. And let's be real, in the early days, it was mostly damsels in distress, men coming to save the day, but you know, they evolved slowly. Okay, so Belle gave herself up in exchange for her father's life almost without hesitation. And Pocahontas stopped a battle by throwing herself in the middle. But Mulan was the first Disney movie to really step it up for women, rushing into war to spare her aging father. Okay, now I'm just going down the Disney rabbit hole, but they're so good. As I got older, I started to view bravery through a different lens. Things like moving to a new country or following my passion or putting myself out there on a podcast. But now I'm starting to see bravery in the day-to-day things, those little things that sometimes even just slip by us, seemingly too insignificant to notice that it takes bravery or that we're lacking it completely. Little things like giving your opinion in a meeting or hell, speaking up when my masseuse is massaging too hard. Why do I always just grit my teeth and bear it? (laughs) Or having the courage to feel your feelings, even when they're not so good feelings. Every day exists an opportunity for bravery in some form. And to me, bravery or courage is just what you need to cultivate to move through fear. And one thing I've learned as an entrepreneur or as a woman or as a human is that fear is a daily thing. We're kind of wired for it. Fear pops up in relationships, in pushing ourselves to new levels, in putting ourselves out there, in choosing a new brand of shampoo. Because like, what if it dries my hair out and this was a total waste of money? Okay, just kidding on that last one. Kind of. But you know what? Sometimes fear is so common, it's almost a disposition. So we can totally miss the opportunity for bravery. Maybe this specific thing has happened so often that we're not even aware of it anymore. One example I can remember was in a company I used to work for with a very, how should I put it, opinionated boss. 
Well, I remember being new to the company and I was all enthusiastic to make waves. (laughs) And I raised my hand to offer an idea in a meeting. And he just gave me this blank stare and moved on like I hadn't said anything at all. And another time, I think he actually said, yeah, we're just going to skip that idea and gave absolutely no reason why. So I just stopped speaking up. I have a friend who lives in a small town that she doesn't like at all. But because she's never pushed her comfort zone, she's barely aware that there's an opportunity to leave. She even has enough in savings to move, but she lives as though there's this invisible cage around her. Without awareness, these things can change the way we show up in the world. They can change our confidence in ourselves, our willingness to step out of our comfort zones, or our ability to change our world. So today we're talking about bravery, specifically in leadership. Most of this conversation will be about bravery in the workplace, whether you're in a corporate job or an entrepreneur. And towards the end, we'll show how it applies to everyday life. Our guest is Nicole Bianchi. She's a facilitator, speaker, strategist, and master coach. Her first biz was digging up worms at age nine to sell in bait shops. Apparently, it was gross and it failed. And now she's the founder of Bravium, where she designs experiences and training programs that help people and teams bravely transform into more strategic, innovative, and effective leaders. And three key things we will learn are common fears that keep us from making bold moves, why it's so hard to give yourself permission and how to start doing it now, and how to expand beyond your need for certainty. And now let's welcome Nicole Bianchi to the show. Thanks, Melissa. So I love to hear people's stories. How did you first get into coaching? Yeah. So about 12 years ago, ironically, I was working inside of an organization as um, uh, an early on executive and actually sat through, we had brought in some external coaching experts to come in and really help teach the, the skill of coaching to our leaders. And so we had outsourced it initially. And I sat through this two and a half day session. And at the end of it, um, kind of throughout it, and, and at the end of it, I said to myself, oh my gosh, One, I need to go do this. This is going to be very, very important work in the future. And two, um, how do we take and scale this across our organization much quicker than um, we had anticipated? Because it was so powerful and we're beginning to start to see some of the transformation take take place. So I raised my hand and said, I want to go through this nine-month coaching certification and really um, get to be kind of a coaching expert and help lead this for the organization. So right away, I knew it was going to be important work, um, not just inside organizations, but ultimately when I moved to the outside as well. So you work with a lot of leaders. What do you see in what are you what are the trends that you're seeing right now? Great question. I am seeing that uh, as we work across leaders and it and it they can be large fortune 100, 200 organizations smaller organizations, nonprofit, community, government, you name the industry, the common element that we are seeing is bravery or lack thereof. And so what we're seeing is that their um, leaders are afraid to have the tough conversations or lean into the conflict or challenge the status quo. Essentially, they're playing it safe. And so that has become a really important component of the work we do is leaning into what does that bravery look like? and 
really shifting the spotlight from just building those leadership skills to, um, and that's still very important work, but putting a spotlight on um, becoming, you know, enacting those and and um, overlaying it with bravery. So I know that playing it safe, we hear that a lot, but I'm curious, like what's really at stake? What's an example of an outcome with a leader who lacks bravery compared to one who is? Like why or how does it turn out so differently? When a leader isn't um, operating at their bravest self and and they're playing it safe, when I think about that, they are um, the challenges that they face are they're not able to lead as nearly as strongly as they can. So what's at risk is you've got a team that's watching you and watching your every move. And so if you're not addressing a situation on the team, right, that can be one of the ways the team ends up suffering for it or working across the peers. And let's say, in fact, I'm working with a leadership team right now where there's some dysfunction happening and they're afraid to have the conversation with each other. And so what happens is, is it slows down results. It slows down productivity and, um, and they're not able to accomplish nearly as much as they could if they were leaning in and having the conversations, the important conversations, or or creating um, kind of rhythms, rules, and routines that that enable them to have those conversations with each other. And and again, that is just one element of what's not happening, the conversation, but it's the one everybody can relate to and are probably nodding their heads going, yep, I either I've experienced that or I see that happening within my team or my department or my organization. It's funny because I've noticed when I've worked in companies, a lot of times the new person that comes in, it comes in so full of ideas and they're so excited to make change. And after getting shut down just a couple times, they stop really trying. Do you see that a lot? We do. We do see that. And that's often when um, we are, we begin to engage, we're starting to see that where they're not able to make the shifts and the changes needed, they can see what needs to be done, but the environment and the culture is not supporting them or enabling them to do so. And that's, that's an important aspect as you go in excited about, you know, kind of some of the transformation that you want to, you want to do and you want to have take place. But there's an, there's an important component and that's pausing and really building those relationships relationships and creating, um, um, you know, some alignment across it before you dive in and start making those shifts. Why do you think that people lack bravery overall? Because this keeps coming up, not even just in leadership. Even people are afraid to take risks in their life or they're afraid to try something new. What do you think most people are so afraid of? A lot of experts out there are talking about fear, that that's one of the reasons. And we do see that, that it's like, well, if I fear of change, like fear of the unknown, I don't know what will happen when I do this or fear of loss. So an example there would be if I speak up and say something and I've seen this happen to other leaders, they're thinking to themselves, I'll be politically fired could be one ramification, which means, you know, I'm not let go from the organization, but I'm pretty much done, right? I'm done here and, and I can no longer have the impact that I want. So I believe it's fear and it's also the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we we kind of make up in our heads that around different scenarios that could happen. And so I actually do a talk on it's okay to get fired every once in a while. And that's the headline for it because I really believe that if we approached some of those things, again, with bravery and grace, right, not obnoxiousness, but we we challenged and we thought through some of those ways as like, okay, so so what's the worst that can happen? Okay, so I lose my job. Could I find another job? 
Yes. Yes, you could probably. Right. And is this really the right job for you? Right. But they're so nervous to make that shift or that change. Um, fear of change is a, is a big one that they'd rather just kind of live with the status quo and put their head down and just do the, the day to day, then actually make a leap and find an environment that would be really supportive of their leadership abilities and their leadership skills. It's funny because in, I, just in a recent interview, it got brought up about how we're so afraid to take risks because it's like we feel like we need someone else's permission. So it brought up the conversation of like, why are we always seeking permission? And my guest thought that it's because one of the reasons is because that's how we were raised during our entire developmental years. We are asking somebody's permission. We need to get permission to go outside. We need to get permission to play, whatever it is. And so eventually when we're an adult and we're supposed to be giving ourselves permission, we don't even consider to do that. We're looking for somebody else for that approval or for that go ahead. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a, I think that's a very interesting point. And if you look at kind of a lot of organizations and the hierarchy and their bureaucracy that goes along with it, right? Seeking approval to to make these changes or to do those. It's very, it's uh, most organizations are driven in that same manner. Some maybe to a lesser degree. Wouldn't it be interesting if we, us as leaders, when we were maybe new in our role or have a new leader that we're reporting to, actually took the time to have that important conversation right up front. And, and the conversation could look something like, listen, I want to be able to take, you know, to challenge things, to take experiments, to take risks. What's the best way to do that, right? What's the best way to do that so that we can begin to redesign what some of the boundaries are within organizations and, and us as a leader. And then uh, by then us role modeling that will give others permission to do the same, right? And to, to figure out what that could look like versus falling into that submissive behavior. I noticed I was poking around your website and in your workshops, you try to experiment with something new or not yet proven. Why is that such an important part of your model? We believe that if we are asking leaders to be brave and to really experiment with things that we have to role model ourselves all of the time. And and we also believe that by showing that the bravery to do that, it gives people permission to, to, to try to be brave as well. And when we do that in a workshop, uh, right before we get ready to try or experiment, whatever we're thinking about, we'll let them know that, hey, this is new. We haven't tried it before. We're going to try it on you. And we want to see what you think. We own up to it. And that gives them permission to experiment with it as well and, and give us some feedback. I will tell you, sometimes it's really scary, especially if it's a big risk one where I'm I'm just not sure how this is going to go or you can't control some of the outcomes. So I'll share uh, this is we do this in workshops and then speaking as well. I was doing a, a speaking thing and I thought, OK, I'm going to build in where I'm going to do a live coaching session and it'll be a, a quick 12 minute. I'll invite somebody to the stage because I want to role model what really good coaching looks like. I've done that now five times. And I'll tell you, three of the times I got the person that came up was like the perfect coachee, right? Ready, willing to try, wanting to think through what their challenge was. And the other two were not. And those did not nearly go as well. And that was a big risk. And I remember getting off stage on one of those going, boy, I really bombed that. Like that was not at all how I wanted it to go. But 
you know what? I tried it. I experimented with it. I learned. And then I redesigned it so it could be even stronger the next time. And I think that's what we have to give ourselves permission to do as leaders is to try on those things. We're often expected to be the expert at everything, right? And it's kind of that permission to fail. And so we need to role model it for other leaders to be able to do the same. It's interesting too, because I think a lot of the times our internal reactions to taking a big risk is like, well, I could literally die. (laughs) And it's like never that much when we lay it out. And so I like what Tim Ferriss says about, it's called fear something. But basically you you think of the absolute worst case scenario. And like my husband and I did that when we were starting our businesses and we're like, yeah, but honestly, like what if this doesn't work out? We could be like, this could be bad. Like what if we can't afford to pay our rent and whatever? And so he's like, well, I want to try this technique. And I was like, why would I want to focus on the absolute worst thing? That sounds terrible for my mindset. And he's like, just, just try it. Try something new, right? Like you said. And so I did, but, and it was actually really healing because I realized that viscerally I was reacting as though I was going to end up homeless on the streets. But realizing that I have a support system, the worst case scenario is like, I have to have an awkward conversation with my mom about how I need to move in with her, get to her guest room or like to my grandma's house or whatever it is. And it's never really as bad. So for you, your worst case scenario was, hey, I got feedback where I get to design a little bit of something new. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I still received in that audience that day, I still received um, at least a handful of reach outs for, hey, I really like how you handled that. I really like, would you come speak? And for me, you know, the thing that was running through my mind was nobody will hire me to be a speaker again, right? Because she (laughs) cannot do it. And you're, I mean, that's the worst case scenario. Like my speaking um, career is over. And that's not what it all happened, right? And so it gave me, I just, I had to take a deep breath and try it. And so I'm really working on role modeling that for others in in situations where it's just not easy because I want to look really good. I want to look like the expert. I want to look like I know what I'm doing because I've invested a lot of time and effort into it. And when it doesn't go that way, it can be a challenge for us. Well, it does make sense because, I mean, even Maslow's hierarchy of needs which is basically for listeners who don't know, this chart of five things that humans really need, which include physiological, safety, love, belonging, and self-actualization. And so safety is on there. So we have this need to feel safe. So given that it's actually on the hierarchy of needs, how do you recommend that we start to push that need for certainty? Because I think that's what it really comes down to is like being certain, like, I, I'm only going to do this if I know for sure that I can be successful with this. So how do we start to kind of push out of that boundary that we create around ourselves? That's where I go back to, I think about what we're willing to try and experiment with, but I'm, I also think it's about the conversations we have with those around us. So I mentioned to you having the conversation up with your leader, right, to set the stage, but that's also having a conversation down with your team to say, hey, I'll, I'll give you, this is a great example. Uh, when I had gone through the coaching program 12, 13 years ago, I, if anybody's taken the DISC assessment, that's one of many assessments that most leaders have taken. I'm a DI by nature, which means I'm a driver, right? And it's like all about getting results and moving forward very, very quickly. And 
it's hard to be wired that way naturally and be a good coach because being a really good coach is about, it's the power of inquiry and silence. It's asking questions and listening and helping them arrive at their own solution. So what I had to do uh, as I was moving through that program, because I found I wasn't making as many of the shifts as I had wanted, I actually went back after one of my sessions and uh, my three or four day session, and I went back to my team and I redesigned our one-on-ones and I said to them, listen, I really want to be intentional about this coaching and I'm not doing a very good job of it. And so here's what I want to do. I, you know, during our one-on-one, I want to do our project check-in, but then I really want you to bring a challenge or something you're facing for me to to begin to really practice the skill of coaching. Is that okay? And what that did was that set the stage for them to know, hey, I know I'm not, I feel like I'm not very good at it, but I want to practice it. And I, and I trust you enough, right? And, and I hope you trust me enough to work through this together to help me be a better leader and to really force the, me to, to ask the questions versus providing all the answers. And that was scary, right? Because again, you're expected to be the expert, but by having that conversation and, and again, it was a two-way conversation. And, and figuring out what that looked like, it set the stage for me to practice as a leader and to be better at what I was doing. And I think that's, I think that's a really important aspect. I've noticed too how you know, people are talking more about bravery and taking risks and how that applies to leadership. But another thing that I really find is trending is vulnerability, which is just so funny because I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where you said, well, they were expecting me to be the expert, or that's what you thought the expectation was. But so many people are dealing with their own internal issues too, that it's just no matter where they are or what they think they expect from you, that level of vulnerability where you see somebody being human, trying, doing the thing that actually shows that it's pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, that's what really creates the the leader for a lot of people because you're setting the real life of example of how to get there instead of just saying, hey, follow this framework that I trademarked and put up there. You know, it's just like yeah. a, a totally different thing where it humanizes you. Have you found that? Definitely. And I'll tell you, in our workshops, we weave in very intentional uh, vulnerability exercises early to really, one, create that team cohesion in that moment. And it really escalates the experiential learning for the rest of however we're longer we're together. And it's amazing. People will, when they reflect back, they'll go, okay, that was really helpful. And I like this tool, but those moments that we create for them that are kind of vulnerability experiments, but they don't realize we don't label them. Guess what? Now you're going to do a vulnerability exercise. We pull them into this exercise and they realize as they come out the other side, what it is. They, those are the ones that gets the highest ratings because they are thinking, gosh, that's what it looks like, right? It's not the, and I'm going to poke fun at the trust falls, right? It's not the trust <laughs> falls or the, the silly hokey, you know, kind of icebreakers that there's, and we call it actually play with purpose. And so we're very intentional about play with purpose and some play, there's some elements where it's playful for vulnerability, but then there's some really serious moments, but you can see in the room it being very, very transformational. And then we unpack it for them to understand and to think about, gosh, how could they do something like that with their team? It doesn't come natural for a lot of leaders. And so we have to be really intentional about doing it and nor do our, by that, I mean, our systems and our cultures and our organizations and our environments that we're surrounded with, not all of them support 
really a vulnerable, uh, a leader being vulnerable at all times. And so that can be our challenge. What's an example of one of those activities that actually really has promoted vulnerability and connection in the people in the room? Okay, so one of my favorites, we actually borrowed it from um, Patrick Lencioni, and it's through the five dysfunctions of a team. It's called the personal histories monologue. And so we do this actually um, with Leadership Omaha and Leadership Lincoln and several other organizations. And you, um, they they do not have time to prepare for it because they do not know it's going to actually occur. And what it is, is it's a six minute monologue where you're not allowed to share certainly your CV or your resume or things like that, but really who you are, your saddest moments, your happiest moments, and essentially why you're there. And what's interesting is after about minute three to four, people will get stuck because they will begin to lose all their rehearsed sayings that they share with people, right? Their scripts. And it really forces them to pause and go deep. And now it's a monologue. So nobody can ask questions. You can sit in silence for a few seconds if you need to, but really from that minute four to that minute six, it gets deep very, very quick. And you begin and people begin to share things that most times in a relationship, it could take a year or two for you to even know or be aware of. And, and it could be anywhere from, you know, trauma as a child, a terrible divorce. I had a gentleman that um, was in a leadership program that had been a gang member and had been shot and gone through um, some pretty significant um, challenges. And the reason why he was in the program was he had pulled out of that and he wanted to make a difference. And he's like, I don't know that I've ever shared that with a group of leaders before. Like that was a big deal. And so people opening up and connecting in really deep ways past the surface responses creates um, such an, an important element of cohesion for them as a team. I'm curious because I, so many of these tips actually go hand in hand with how we, we can evolve in everyday life. And I know that a lot of these things are about, you know, leading a team and whatever, but a lot of women, especially are actually both women and men, I don't want to leave anyone out, are leading families and or leading small groups. How has this work changed the way you show up in your personal life? Good question. I will tell you that it is, I'm very, I really try to be very intentional with it at home. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Our youngest son actually runs, he's 16 years old and he runs his own candle business. He started it when he was 12 years old and he's in several stores and online. And in fact, he's getting ready to, uh, to launch on Amazon this week. So he's really, he's a very unique 16 year old. He was going through a period recently where there was a big failure in one of his uh, products and he was having a difficult time owning up to it and really sharing with a few investors that he had made this mistake. And I saw that, like him needing to be the expert, needing to be right. And I pulled him aside and I said to him, um, uh, you know, I shared what I was seeing and I, and I asked him what was getting in the way. And he's like, I just don't, I want him to keep believing in me. I don't want them to, to not feel that I'm doing it right. And I said, but Nick, owning up to it and saying, you've made a mistake is a really powerful, right? Way to, to continue to build that trust and to move forward. So he was able to have that conversation, but I don't know that he would have had it on his own. And I don't know if I wasn't practicing so much in this space, I would have identified what was necessarily going on with him. So every opportunity I get the chance to with, with the kids and, and certainly with my husband, I really try to, uh, to practice that as well. 
I wouldn't say I'm perfect all the time though, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is funny when you think about when I have talked to a lot of hugely successful people, when you ask them about their failures, they're normally so shameless about it. I, I don't even know if I've heard somebody yeah. having shame about it. They're like, oh my God, that time that I spent millions of dollars and lost that business. And I think what people who are actually successful know is how many failures happen along the way. And what I love is Mickey Agrawal uh, wrote a book called Disruptor, and she has this whole section about how we should redefine failure as a, a revelation because nothing's really a failure. It's just the bump along the road. And so if I was that investor talking to your son and seeing, wow, at this young age, he's already understanding that this isn't a failure. This is a revelation or this is the point where he learned more information to make his products even better. It was probably so powerful. Yes. Yes. You, you couldn't be more right. And being able to shape that at such a young age, I think is so important, right? I mean, he's certainly learning some valuable business skills, but the leadership skills that he needs to learn along the way to be kind of the leader we all aspire to be and learning him at a young age, I think is, I'm hoping will be really powerful and help shape his leadership style as he continues on through his journey. Earlier, I mentioned how much of the reason that we feel like we need permission for anything bold or risky that we do in our lives is because of those developmental years of always having to ask permission. So I'm just curious, I wonder if there's a way that we could actually foster a better way for when we're raising our own children or if we're teachers or anyone that plays a part in actually shaping a child growing into themselves. In an ideal world, could you imagine a way or a different way to raise a kid where it didn't rely so much on permission so that when they are an adult, they're more willing to follow their own intuition and take bigger risks? It's interesting because I think what we've played around with on multiple occasions is uh, when there's a complaint about something like, let's say, a curfew or, you know, well, everybody gets to do this. Why don't I get to do this? Right. And and instead of forcing the permission thing, I actually try to pause and ask them, what do you think would be the right thing and actually use coaching techniques to help them think through the challenge. Cause oftentimes it's not the, it's not the necessarily it's the time of the curfew, right? It's something else that might be going on and they end up arriving at a solution. That's actually probably pretty close to what I would have wanted anyway, right? Or what would it be kind of in the, 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 the guardrails and it becomes less, well, you must ask permission and I must say yes or no, right? That it's, we figure out what that right answer is together. And that, and the answer is usually somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, definitely. And it is funny too, when you start to ask, we always think that we are going to know more than the child, but the child's yeah. brain is so limitless and so has so many less inhibitions and they've been knocked down less times. And so when I talk to my like nieces and nephews, sometimes I'm like, that was the most genius thing I've heard of 2019. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I'll tell you, I write those down too. I capture those moments because I don't, I, there is such wisdom in those moments. And I'll, I'll share one real quick. I was, uh, my 17 year old was coming home from a lacrosse game and I was practiced. I was thinking about a bravery question, a look back, and I really wanted to start testing it and researching it. And so he had just walked in from a 
lacrosse game. I had just gotten home from traveling. And so I had thought of this question on the plane and, and I said, Hey, can I ask you a quick question? And he said, sure. And I said, what's the bravest thing you did today? And I didn't expect a whole lot, right? Because it's, it's a pretty deep question. And he quickly responded by saying, well, I played goalie today at lacrosse. And for, for any lacrosse fans, he plays face off, which is the, the front position, you know, in a, in a, in a fight for the ball in the beginning. So that's a very different skill set than playing goalie. Very different. And I said, oh my gosh, you played goalie. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, nobody wanted to do it. He goes, I had no interest in doing it, but I knew it was our only chance to have a fighting chance to win. Um, was to me to play that. And he said, and I did it. And he goes, and not only did I do it, but I realized that may be the most important position on the field. It gave me a whole new perspective. And he went on and on sharing this, like this reflection around what he had done. And I thought, oh my gosh, these kids are doing doing this, right? They are, they are, that was an important act of bravery. And it took a lot for him to say yes to that, right? Now, it probably takes more as an adult to say yes to it. It probably was like, well, okay, fine, I'll do it. But he reflected on, had he not done that, what some of the ramifications, right? And he wouldn't have grown, they may not have won. So um, it's interesting, I think our, I I think these kiddos are doing and, and thinking about it more than we think they are. It's also so awesome having somebody to draw out that reflection. It's something my husband and I try to do quite often is like ask kind of an out of the blue question. We go to this restaurant all the time. We're vegan and it's called Cafe Gratitude. And it's like this, they actually make fun of it in TV shows now because all of the things on the meal are like, it's not called a matcha latte. It's called I am courageous. It's not, it's not called like a tempeh wrap. It's called, it's called trusting. And when you order, you say, I am trusting. Or like, if you say, I'd like the, I'd like the tempeh wrap, let's say you are trusting. And it's so funny. But then there's also a question of the day. And so they'll say like, what was the brightest thing to happen to you this week? Or where in your life do you still feel hidden? And then we start talking about it, but it brings out this reflection that we might not have had. And for your son in that scenario, it's like, yeah, he did that thing and it might have just felt good. But then to have somebody there, which is also a tip to bring into your teams and to bring into your families and your friendships, to have somebody there that causes a deeper reflection about that. That's when things I feel like really get grounded into reality and become something that you start to teach other people. Yeah, well said. I agree. So we've been talking a lot about leading with bravery and how to be that leader that expands the status quo. But there's a receiving end, or I should say a supportive role also when people around you are trying to take risks or do something that requires bravery. And I've noticed that a lot of my personal reactions are reactions that I've adopted from people around me. And I don't always change them until I start to challenge or question them. So how can we better support the people around us that are trying to step out of the norm or like react in a way that encourages them to lead with this type of bravery? I I think there's, I think it's all about habits and I think it's about one, you know, are you, are you willing to have the mindset to try it? And then I think it's what habits are you going to form? And so I'll tell you, I, when I think about kind of my inner circle and people I surround myself with, I always make sure I've got a couple that I know will challenge me and really challenge my thinking and, and giving them permission to do so, to say, I, here's how you could play a role in helping me think through 
um, some of the things that I'm doing and really pushing me to be better. And then I think we can do that in return for maybe it's them, maybe it's other people on our, from a colleague, a peer, a friend, um, a spouse, a child, right, that's wanting to grow and transform or do something a little bit differently and really understanding what role we can do to help support them and what that might look like. So what habits do you think are most important for actually becoming a brave person or a brave leader? There are many, but I'll tell you a couple that rise to the top uh, for me is one, uh, being able to uh, lean on others. And so I mentioned that just a little bit, but I really do believe that being brave is infectious and you can draw strengths from from friends and coworkers and embrace your fears by certainly helping others. And so being able to lean in, you have to be able to lean on and being able to tell people, here's what I need from you right now. So that's one example. Another one is, I think this is a bit of self-coaching, but I think it's a really important move because we're not always around or accessible to people that can help us think through things. And so being able to say it out loud, right, and start acknowledging what you might be, what story you might be telling yourself or what fear might be kind of creeping up for you at that moment and taking a deep breath and thinking about what's the bravest thing you could do right now, even if it's just a small, brave move, what's one thing And then it feels a lot less large and, you know, insurmountable could give you just that small moment of forward propelment. I think that can be really important as well. And then I think practicing, I shared with you and we talked about the, well, gosh, the, our one rule is, is we're going to try something new at every workshop. Well, then it becomes, that's a habit, right? We've created a habit to challenge us to be brave and courageous. And, and we reflect on those. We take the ones that worked and we move them on. The ones that didn't work so well, we rework or discard and try something else new. And that's a great example of a habit is just say, you know, saying, I'm going to practice it. And here's what that looks like. Right. I was just listening to this really amazing speaker. He's a former NFL player. He's had a crazy life. His name's Anthony Trucks. And he was talking about the identity, basically creating your self-image. And one thing that I found so interesting was about how much our actions also create our self-image. And so we hear so much in like the self-development space about, you know, affirm who you're trying to become or like say these affirmations in front of the mirror. But if you're not actually doing the things to live into that, you're basically creating evidence for the self-image that you're trying to get rid of or for the opposite self-image that you're trying to create. So everything goes hand in hand about, and the more that you actually create, like, well, I'm the type of person that creates, that takes risks, or I'm the type of person that does whatever, then it's not another decision that then eats into your willpower. Because you stop asking yourself every single decision like, oh, should I do this? Should I post this on Instagram? Should I stand in front of this crowd and speak my truth? Whatever it is, all those things are so hard when it's a new decision. But when it's who you are, then it, you, it can be 3 p.m. and you're still blazing full speed of energy because all the things you've done weren't, weren't a new decision. <laughs> Does that make sense with what you're yeah. saying? Yes, it does. And I, and I do believe you're right. I think, and again, people, if, even if it's just small moves, it could be the 20 seconds of bravery, right? It's not, it, you start out small and begin to practice it, build it into the habits. And then it just becomes the way you do things, right? It no longer becomes something you're attempting to do. You're just doing it. 
And I also love the how two of those habits are about other people and really leaning on others and being there for others. One thing that I've noticed in my own life is I can see what's holding me back by my initial reaction to what other people are doing. So if somebody is doing something, and I I can think of an example from when I was like 13. I remember being at a dance and this one girl went out into the dance floor and, you know, middle school dances, it's like everyone's standing on the sideline. Maybe you'll see a sway and like two people will go up there. Well, this one girl just goes in full speed ahead and is like letting her freak flag fly like doing these moves that are not considered the cool moves at the time. And half of my subconscious was saying, okay, that's awful. Like how, why is she embarrassing herself like that? And the other half was like, I wish I had that kind of courage. And so when you lean into, well, what do I want to be? I want to be more like that. Like just support them. Even if there's this huge voice of judgment in your head, support what other people are doing. And the more that I do that, the more I find myself supporting my big, crazy moves in life. I love that. So thank you for sharing all of these tips about what, uh, how to be a braver leader. And I know that you have a book coming out. Uh, what's the bravest thing you can do? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've been, like I would mentioned that I've been doing um, certainly some research on it as well. Some really powerful stories of when it's looked really, really good, right? Our bravest moments and, and times where it hasn't and what that looks like and creating, I mentioned the habits as well. And so you'll see a lot of, uh, this is the headline, uh, certainly what I shared with you today, but you'll see a lot more around what are some other brave things we should be doing around uncomfortable truths, right? Which is back to the conversations that we don't always have with each other um, and what that can look like. And so what I think, uh, again, I think I think we do such a great job on, you know, skills and tools around leadership. Imagine taking all of those and overlaying it with bravery. And there's going to be some uh, uh, a lot of a lot of that in the book that you can look forward to. Well, for listeners who are resonating with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? So they can find me on LinkedIn um, as well as Twitter. And then I, um, you, or you can reach out to us on our website at www.braviumhd.com. All of the links from this episode will be in your exclusive members portal or go to mindlove.com XO2. And this week, I've got a little exercise for you to try out. The first thing I want you to do is to start to acknowledge what you're afraid of. Maybe it's a big thing in work or your business, like the worst nightmare scenario. Or maybe it's something smaller, like just speaking up for yourself or setting boundaries. So start by acknowledging that. And then imagine yourself in the midst of that situation, feeling strong and secure in yourself. How would you handle it? What would you learn about yourself in the process? One way to start being brave, even before we're ready to take action, is to first just visualize yourself doing it. It can be really difficult to do something out of your comfort zone because it feels like you're flying by the seat of your pants. You have no plan. Are you going to choke? What will you even say? I haven't planned these things. So try some visualizations first. Picturing yourself making a bold move. Picture what would you say to the person if you were saying no or setting a boundary or speaking up for yourself. 
play through those things in your mind as many times as you need to. Then when the actual moment comes for you to take action, it won't feel so scary because you've gone through this a hundred times in your head. So pick what feels most pertinent to you, where you feel like you've been held back the most and practice with that. And last, I just want to say thank you so much for being a member of Mind Love and supporting me in this journey. It's because of people like you that Mind Love thrives. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time.